I feel like if we're not in a life group, then the love that we have for each other in this congregation, I, I don't think this is overstating it, that it tends to be theoretical. We theoretically love everybody in here, right? We theoretically, you know, have a good relationship with everybody here, but it's only when we start doing life together, when we get in each other's homes and we really learn each other and really love each other, that that, that love becomes something that's more than theoretical. It becomes something that sometimes is hard to do. We have to give up some things. And so I'm, I'm really excited about next quarter, but I really want to encourage you that if you're not in a life group, that that's one of the best things about being at McDermott Road is being in a life group, learning, getting to know each other on a real basis, not just a handshake on a Sunday morning. As good as that is and as wonderful as it is to be here together, it's even better to get involved in each other's lives, get, get in each other's homes, sit on each other's couches, share food together, and be family. That's what it's all about. Now, we're in the middle of this series, or we started this series last week about Love. I don't know about you, but this has been a tough week. It's been a tough week. I'm sure that not only do you have stuff going on in your own individual life, but if you turn on the news, and I don't know if you're like me, but I, I do that as seldom as possible, turn on the news. But when you start hearing things about nuclear bombs and missiles and wars, and, and then you see what's going on in Charlottesville, you see the racism and the hate, the bitterness and the anger, the shouting and the screaming and the killing. It's just absolutely heartbreaking, isn't it? It's absolutely heartbreaking to see our world tear each other apart. Church, it's always been that way. It has always been. This is nothing new. There have been wars and rumors of wars since the beginning. But church, we've got to be different. We have to be a counterculture. We have to be a people who are committed to peace. That are committed to love. Not just loving the people that are like us. Not just committed to loving the people that share our values that share our nationality, that share our skin color, that share whatever, but committed to loving our neighbor as ourself. We talked about last week that Jesus says this is the most important command, to love God with all your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. We walk through that parable about the Good Samaritan. And we talked about how loving your neighbor as yourself isn't about who your neighbor is. It's about who you're supposed to be. That you're supposed to be, if you're going to be God's people, you're supposed to be a neighbor to everyone. You're supposed to be a neighbor to everyone. The bad news is you haven't done that. It's easy to point our fingers and say, well, they're not being very neighborly. They're not being very loving, but... As my mama used to say, when you point your finger at somebody, there's three fingers pointing back. We haven't been either, have we? We've failed to love our neighbor as ourselves. We've failed to be a neighbor. So make no mistake, on the basis of our merit, on the basis of our works, there is no justification. 
You cannot say, well, I'm a pretty loving person. I love my neighbor as myself. I'm doing a pretty good job. Because when it comes right down to it, you're guilty. Just as we all are. You haven't loved God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you haven't loved your neighbor as yourself. It's not a comparison thing. You don't get to say, well, I'm more loving than they are. No, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the only hope that we have is not to be justified by the law, but to be justified by something else. That's what the book of Romans is all about. The book of Romans that we're going to look at a little bit today is all about the fact that you cannot, whether you're a Jew or you're a Gentile, you cannot be justified by law-keeping because you're guilty. And once you've broken the law, the law can't offer you salvation. Once you've broken the law, you have to have a Redeemer. You have to have a Savior. You have to have an atoning sacrifice. You have to have blood shed so that your sins can be taken away and you can be reconciled to God. And so Paul explains that both the Jew and the Gentile are in desperate need of salvation from heaven, are in desperate need of a Savior, are in desperate need of a Redeemer, in desperate need of somebody to come and to save them apart from works of the law. In fact, Paul will go on to explain that as Christians, we are not under the law, Romans 6.15. We have died to the law, Romans 7 verse 4. We have been released from the law, Romans 7 and verse 6. But that brings up an interesting point, doesn't it? If Paul is saying, listen, the law was to bring us to faith in Jesus, but now that Jesus has come, we're not under the law anymore. That's what he says in Galatians. If that's true, if we're not under the law and we've been released from the law and we've died to the law, then is is Paul promoting some kind of religious anarchy that says just do whatever you want to do. There are no rules anymore. Just live however you want to live and treat people however you want to treat people. Romans chapter 3 says some people accused Paul of that. And they said, well, you're just promoting people just do whatever they want to. And Paul says, by no means. Romans chapter 6. Should we go on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means. God forbid. No, 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 no. That's not at all what I'm preaching. He says, listen, you died to sin. When you were baptized into Jesus, you said, not only am I going to inherit a life where I'm released from the law of Moses, but I'm also going to live a life where I'm dead to sin. And I don't live like that anymore. What does that kind of life look like? Because the old law, I mean, it spelled out everything in detail, didn't it? If your neighbor's ox wanders away, this is what you're supposed to do. If you, you're walking along the road and you find this situation, here's what you should do. Or if you, you see this situation, here's what you're supposed to do. It was a written code. And it spelled out in detail, here's the law, here's what you're obligated to do. But with written codes, what are we always tempted to do? Find a loophole, right? And that's what we talked about last week. How with the written code, you're always trying to find a loophole. Here's what Paul says in Romans 7 and verse 6. Now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. We serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. But church, that doesn't mean when Paul says we serve in the new way of the Spirit, some of us like to just pretend that means, so I just do whatever I feel like doing, right? I just leave, I just let my heart be my guide. I just do whatever is on my heart. Paul, no. No, you let God's Spirit be your guide. 
You, you listen to the teaching of the apostles. You listen to the teaching of Jesus. Because Paul is about to lay out for us exactly what it looks like to follow this new way of the Spirit and not by the written code. And we're not going to be the kind of people that look for legal loopholes to say, oh yeah, but do I really have to do that? And can I get away with this? And can I get away with that? No, we're going to, we're going to do this. Romans chapter 12. We're going to take our whole body and we're going to offer it up to God as a living sacrifice. And we're going to say, everything I am, everything I have, it belongs to you. No, no, no being conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. A, a life that says, I don't want anything to do with sin. I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow the Spirit of God and do what God wants me to do. I want to do what pleases God. But what does that look like? What does that look like if, I mean, God didn't spell out, what do, what do you do when North Korea's threatening to launch missiles? You find that passage in the New Testament? Well, what do you do in that situation? Well, what, what do you do in the situation where you, you work with somebody who is sexually immoral and is always talking about their sexual immorality around you? What do you do in that situation? Uh, what, what do you do in the situation where you turn on the news and you see racist and hate-filled people all over the TV doing horrible things on the other side of the country? What, what do you do in that situation? Worse yet, what do you do when you work with somebody who's a hateful racist, bigoted person. What do you do in those types of situations? I mean, we don't find in the New Testament spelled out in a written way every little detail of what to do in every little situation. Instead, we're given one word. Love. And it's more simple and more challenging than most of us could comprehend or realize. Look at chapter 12 and verse 9. Romans 12 and verse 9. This is, this is what it looks like to walk in the new way and not in the way of the written code, the, the legal code as it were before. Romans 12 and verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. We could pretty much just stop right there, couldn't we? We, we could spend all morning just on that one verse right there. Let your love be genuine. Love your neighbor genuinely love your neighbor. Now, when the Bible talks about this agape love, there was a word for, for the, the kind of love that we use the word love all the time. We say, I love, I love hamburgers and I, I love, I love watching movies and I, I, I love my, my country. I love my wife. I mean, th- there was words for that kind of warm, fuzzy feeling that you get, that kind of love. But this agape love is more about what you do than how you feel. And Paul says, let love be genuine. It, it does have to do with what's on the inside, but then what comes pouring out on the outside. Let love be genuine. Hate, abhor what is evil, and hold fast to what is good. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. That, that, that's the, the one another, the church, right? Now, make no mistake, Rome was an incredibly difficult place to live as a Christian. It was a difficult place to live, and you're going to talk about this in your life group, because you're going to life group this afternoon, right? Uh, and so, life group today, you're going to talk about this, how difficult it was to live as a Christian in Rome. Not only did you have the culture on the outside of the church, but on the inside of the church, you had Jews and Gentiles who were at each other's throat all the time, apparently. Who were disagreeing about all kinds of opinion matters. 
And people said, well, listen, I, I read the law of Moses and, and, and man, I, I don't think we ought to eat this stuff or I think we ought to keep this day and, and, and recognize this day. And other people were saying, no, 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 you don't understand. We're, we're Christians now. And there was all kinds of fighting and squabbling, all kinds of quarreling and line drawing. And Paul says, listen, this is, this is the law. This is the law for the church. This is how you do things in the church. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Try to outdo each other in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now look at verse 14. Bless bless those who persecute you. Now now this is the outside forces, right? This is is the, the, the pagan world. Not only was there difficulty and challenge within the church, but now there's this difficulty and challenge from outside of the church. You think our world is full of violence and hate now? I can't even imagine have living in the first century. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Verse 17, repay No one, evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Man, again, we could drill down and we could stay on that one verse all day long. We should give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. People walk around all the time and say, "I I don't care what you think of me. I don't care what you think of my decisions. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's not Christian thinking. Christian thinking says, not only do I want to do what's right in God's sight, I, I want to give thought to what is honorable in your sight. I want to be careful with my words. Be careful with my actions. Be careful what I post on Twitter or Facebook. Be careful what I, I do at work. Be careful what I do when I'm in my neighborhood. And I want to do what is honorable. What is honorable in the sight of all. I don't want anybody looking at what I do or what I say and say, wow, that's dishonorable. I can't believe a person would live like that and bring shame and reproach not only on myself and my family, but on the Lord's church. Paul says, listen, it's a hostile world out there and they're going to persecute you and they're going to talk bad about you. They're going to do evil things to you. But don't return to them what they're giving to you. Instead, do your very best to live in harmony with everybody. Do your very best to do what's honorable in the sight of all people. Verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, I can't control what anybody else does. You can't control what anybody else does. You can't, you can't reach into their heart as much as you wish you could and rip out the hate. I wish we could. Man, I wish we could, don't you? I wish we could just reach down deep inside and pull their hate out and throw it away, but you can't do it. Not everything depends on you. You can't change the way they think. You can't change the way they feel. You can't even change the way they act, but you can change the way you think. 
You can change the way you feel. You can change the way you act. And Paul says, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Church, that's hard. I know it's hard. Now listen, he's not talking about compromise. He's not talking about not standing up for what's right. I mean, he says in the very first chapter that if you give approval to what's evil, there's plenty of evil in the world that we might be tempted to give approval to. He says, listen, if you give approval to evil, then you're you're just as guilty as the people who practice it. So that's not what he's talking about. But he's saying, listen, check your words. And check your actions. And so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. That's the law for the church. That's the law for the church. You don't have a written code that says, hey, when you go to work tomorrow and somebody smarts off and says something ridiculous, here's what you're supposed to do. That's not the way the New Testament works. That's not the way the New Covenant works. The way the new covenant works is you've offered up yourself to God as a living sacrifice, and this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to go to work and work with people who are rude and hateful and unkind and immoral and don't understand Christian principles and Christian morals. It means that you give thought to do what's honorable in the sight of all, and so far as it depends on you, you live peaceably with everyone. You live in harmony. Verse 19, Beloved, never, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. For it's written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. There's a lot of bad stuff in the world. And our human tendency is to return insult for insult, curse for curse, violence for violence, hate for hate. But Jesus calls us to break that cycle. Church, Jesus calls us to break that cycle and say, no more. I will not participate it anymore. I'm done. I'm going to live at peace with everyone. I'm going to give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. When I'm cursed, I'm not going to return a curse. When evil is done to me, I'm not going to do evil to you. I will not seek vengeance. I trust God. God will make it right. God will judge. God will avenge. God will take care of this whole situation. And He will raise me from the dead. What's the worst you could do? Kill me? So what? I'm coming back again. I'm going to be raised from the dead and I'm going to live forever with God. That's why Jesus says, don't fear those who kill the body. Fear the one who can destroy your body and soul in hell. We've got to have a tenacious kind of love. A tenacious kind of love that says, I'm going to treat you with love and kindness even if it kills me. I'm going to treat you with love and kindness no matter the consequences. That's Christianity. That's the law to which we've been called. To live this kind of counter-cultural type of life. Verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. That's what we're called to. Well, Wes, well, Wes, what if, what if he's a member of ISIS? Or what if he's this? Or what if he's that? Did you read what it said? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Now listen, you and I don't get to decide world policy, and I'm kind of glad about that, aren't you? Well, we don't get to decide, you know, politics and all these things. All you and I are called to do is live out our life daily. If we come into contact with somebody who hates us and he's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. 
For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We are called to break the cycle. The cycle of hate for hate, violence for violence, cursing for cursing. And we have been called to return curses for blessing, or return blessings for curses. When people do evil to us, we do good to them. When people hurt us, we help them. Why? Because that's the way of Jesus. That's what we've been called to. And yes, you don't have it all spelled out in a written code so that you can try to find the loopholes and say, okay, yes, but what about this situation? I think this is different. No, this is a big, broad principle that says this is the life to which you've been called, church. This is who we are. We present our bodies to Jesus as a living sacrifice. And we say, no more will I be conformed to the way of the world. I will be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I will love my enemies. I will bless those who curse me. I will feed those who are hungry, even if they are my enemy. And then in the first few verses of Romans 13, he says, listen, and this, can't you imagine how challenging this would be? To say, I I realize the Roman government looks like a monster. Because in many ways, the book of Revelation says that it was a monster. But it's a monster that God unleashed on the world to do his will, to punish evildoers. And Paul says, listen, I want you to live peaceful, quiet, law-abiding lives. Don't disobey the government. Just do what they say. Live at peace, right? Now look at verse 7 of Romans 13. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything. And I think by that, he says, don't leave any outstanding debts. Pay everybody what you owe them. Now, it would be easy at this point to say, okay, well, I gotta honor this guy because he's the governor. I gotta honor this guy because he's the emperor. I gotta honor this person because he's my boss. I'll give you the honor that I owe you, but nothing more than that. Right? I'll do what I gotta do, but that's it. I'm not gonna go any further than that. Right? If I owe you taxes, I'll pay my taxes, but that's it. I'm not going any further than that. If I owe you honor and respect, I'll give you some honor and respect. I'll give you the amount of honor and respect I owe you and nothing more. But Paul, well, Paul doesn't end there, does he? <laughs> Man, it'd be so much easier if he did, right? It'd be easy to say, okay, fine. I'll give you the respect and the honor and the taxes and the money that I owe you, but nothing more. He says, except this. Don't leave any outstanding debt except this to love each other. That's the debt you don't pay off. You can pay everyone what you owe them except love. You can never pay that off. You always will owe a debt of love to whom? Your neighbor. (laughs) Who's that? Everybody. If you're a follower of Jesus, then it's everybody. And you owe them a debt of love. Continue to pay it. You, You might say, well, I don't owe you any more respect than what I've already given you. Yes, but you owe them love. An abundance of it. Why? Because of what you've received from Christ Jesus. Because you were an enemy of God And Jesus spilled his blood so that you could be reconciled to God. He, you were his enemy and he loved you and gave you what there's no way you could get on your own. He saved you. He loved you. And now you owe a debt of love to everybody with whom you come into contact. And yes, even the people that are filled with hate, even the people that are filled with bitterness, even the people that are entrenched in sin, the people that are broken, the people that are confused, you owe them love. You don't owe them acceptance. You, you don't, obviously we don't stamp a stamp of approval on what they're doing or how they're living. But we say, I will feed the people that are hungry. 
And I will give drink to the people that are thirsty. And I will build a relationship with, and I will be a friend of anyone who will have me. I will do everything and anything within my power to live at peace with everyone. Verse 9. For the commandments... Sorry, I don't think I finished verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Right? This is what God requires of you. Love your neighbor. Verse 9. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right? You say, how, how does that work exactly? You shall not commit adultery. Well, if you love your neighbor, you're not going to sleep with his wife, right? If you love your neighbor, you're not even going to look lustfully at his wife or husband, whatever the case may be. If you love your wife or your husband, you won't sleep with somebody else's wife or husband or anyone else for that matter. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shouldn't even covet. Why? Because if you love your neighbor, you won't covet his stuff. Love, verse 10, does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. You don't have a written code that tells you what to do tomorrow morning when things get hard at work or at school or in your neighborhood or wherever you are. We don't have a written code to tell us how to walk through American politics in the 21st century. But we do have this. Love your neighbor. Love is the fulfilling of the law. You want to know how to treat people? With love. You want to know how to treat people that are filled with hate? With love. You want to know how to treat people who treat you poorly? With love. Paul lays it out. I I challenge you, read through the whole book of Romans. You see how it's laid out. Paul says that's true in the church and it's true in the world. Love your neighbor. Offer yourself to God as a living sacrifice and say, I belong to you. I'm going to love my neighbor if it kills me. I'm going to love my brothers and sisters in Christ who disagree with me and don't like me and and don't do what they're supposed to do. I'm going to love them if it kills me. I'm going to love them no matter the consequences. That is the life we are called to. Love is the fulfilling of the law. A tenacious love. A love that doesn't give up a love that doesn't surrender, a love that is patient, a love that is kind, a love that doesn't envy or boast or is rude or is self-seeking, a love that never fails. This is the fulfilling of the law. Maybe there's somebody here this morning that wants to begin that journey with Jesus and die to the world and the ways of the world and sinfulness and to walk with Jesus having your sins erased and to walk with Him now and forever. Maybe you just need prayers or encouragement. There's a room in the back. Elders would love to pray with you, meet with you after services, or you can come forward now as we stand and sing.